Hey folks, welcome to episode number 121 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Kyle McCrohan. He's an adventurer who loves to climb mountains. Kyle loves and practices a wide array of sports, including rock climbing, ski mountaineering, ultra running, and ice climbing. I love how Kyle blends these interests to... Um, to setting and exploring high routes throughout the Cascades and the Sierras. And he has an extensive personal journals and trip reports on his website, uh, climberkyle.com, which is a really fun read, especially with everyone being in, you know, right now it's April of 2020. If you're in quarantine, you're not able to get out in the mountains. It really stokes you up for setting some adventures when we're able to get out of this situation. And for those of you who haven't dipped your toes into mountaineering or climbing, like whoo, they're great reads and not too long. And they're great for the, um, the layman, you know, you don't, he doesn't use a bunch of jargon. In this episode, Kyle and I talk about his adventures in the Cascades, developing his skill set and mindset, thoughts on risk assessment and commitment, and one of my favorite topics, our sense of meaning and fulfilling our needs. Kyle has um, also brought to my attention how he learned how to be more process orientated instead of results orientated. And he, he learned that through... Um, building a skill set to climb mountains and have adventures. And I think it's a great vehicle to be able to learn those skills and perhaps it might apply to your everyday life. But without any further ado, here is Kai. My family would, you know, go camping and do some hiking. Like each summer we'd usually, uh, I go camp at like Lake Wenatchee or down in the gorge and um, Larrabee State Park, places like that. And sometimes uh, we would go on little hikes. Starting out, classic was like the Denny Creek water slide on I 90, um, Big Four Ice Caves. I remember going in there, um, not going in the caves, you know, that's not good, but visiting those areas a lot. And then as I got older, uh, I, I kind of just fell into a group of friends in high school that was really adventurous, uh, really active. And these were kind of the guys that I did cross country with. And in the summer, we would go running in the mornings together at St. Edward State Park. And sometimes then with the rest of the day, we're like, what do we do? <laughs> and once we were able to drive, uh, we started you know, driving out and hiking Mount Sai and Tiger Mountain and stuff like that. And just one thing kept led to another. And then soon we were scrambling and starting to go off trail. And that was really, I felt like the start of it all. And those are the all, also the guys that got me into backpacking. So I didn't really do any backpacking growing up. You know, my family would just go car camping a few times a year. Um, but some of those guys took me backpacking uh, for my first time, my senior year of high school. It was January in the Cascades. I don't know why we chose January. Um, and we went out to Heather Lake underneath Mount Pilchuck. And it was like sleet snow, like the whole night. Um, we were camping in our tents and we, we didn't have the concept of like filtering water. So we carried all of our water up, you know, like ridiculously heavy. I think I carried like lanterns, like all kinds of stuff I didn't need. Oh uh, but we made it up there. We're camping in the tent at night 
and the water bladders for my friend burst uh, in the tent, like soaking our sleeping bags. One of my other friends sleeping next to me somehow like got sick from some food and like puked like right next to us. Oh no! Um, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was basically like a nightmare first trip, and yet I still really enjoyed. It. And I think that was that was really the start. Like. Like it's pretty bad. If you still enjoy it, I think then I knew it was going to be, you know, something I wanted to pursue in the future. It's a really interesting start to my backpacking. What, what kind? What about those kind of that situation? Did you enjoy? Like, what were the components of it? I think it just felt so novel and wild. Like, you know, someone who really had never slept, you know, far away from a car or a home, um, being out in the mountains where it was dumping snow and we, you know, had to start a fire with all this like snow covered wood, which we did manage. Um, it, it, and also I think really the bonding, like those are guys that I'm still in touch with today and really good friends with. And not all of us have gone down the path of mountaineering. Some of them have, you know, hardly hiked for a few years now and that's okay, but it's still like an experience we look back on together that brought us all like a lot closer and we really are grateful for. It's an interesting thing when you decide to do things that are pretty challenging, physically uncomfortable, right? And yeah, it's awesome. Like it's for some reason you can look back on it and smile, right? Yeah, definitely. My second backpacking trip, so that was my first. My second trip was right after I finished like AP exams my senior year of high school. Uh, it was the next day, Memorial Day weekend. Um, my friend and I, we decided to go try to climb Big Jim Mountain uh, in the Chiwakum Range, which is kind of over near Leavenworth and Lake Wenatchee. And this is like a whole different thing than hiking Mount Side. This is like an almost 8,000 foot peak, off trail, everything's snow covered. Um, I didn't have experience with snow navigation. And so we went out there with our dad's 30 year old backpacking gear, which was created like 40 or 50 pound packs, you know, um, and we're hiking up, reached snow line and we're snowshoeing, uh, trying to figure out where to go without GPS or like much navigation experience. Um, but we, we made it to the right basin and then my buddy's snowshoes broke because they were some cheap like Craigslist snowshoes that we had gotten. Um, so we just kept post-toying and we still made it to the camp. And I remember the final slopes up to the summit, but like late in the evening and we're going up and my buddy, Chris, his legs are cramping like every few steps, but we made it, we made it to the top. And that was such an incredible, empowering experience to be up there and to realize really how underprepared we had been for something like that yet we had made it because we had just taken it like one step at a time and we've been so encouraging to each other and we really believed in each other and in looking back like that's not a hard climb but with how little preparation we had the poor gear we had that was really i think the climb that started my mountaineering experiences like that, you know, that relative chaos, right? And I've had it even being yeah. in jobs when I worked in the restaurant industry when things get really busy um, and things were like, you just had, all you could do was your best to keep the tickets rolling, right? You just had like, you know, 10 tickets and you have to cook. Yeah. 
10 meals and you're like, you can't, you just can't think. And you go into that, that like flow state, but beyond that, cause you're working with all these other people and you're like feeding off of their energy and you feel so close to them. And like, I even remember when I was younger, I would, I'd have bits of loneliness and stuff. Um, yeah. And feeling disconnection from my family, which is my mom and I and not really anybody else to partake in family matters. Um, but I never yeah. felt closer to anyone in those than in those experiences. And there's all like 35 year old dudes and I'm like 15. But then I look at like the mountains is very, you know, very similar or like whenever I can put myself in these kinds of chaotic situations. Exactly. It's like situations where you feel like your back is against the wall and you really have to dig deep and you have to like work together um, to get through that experience. And I think something that I did unintentionally that now I look back, I'm very grateful for is that I kind of naively threw myself into those situations when I was a young mountaineer. And the key is to to stretch yourself and push your boundaries, make yourself uncomfortable, but to do it in a way that you're not doing something dangerous. And that's what's like really challenging about the mountains. Cause it's so easy to, to overstep basically pushing yourself physically and mentally to like doing something dangerous. Like the worst that would have happened to us on that trip is like, we didn't get to the camp. We just camped in a snowy meadow and then followed our footsteps back out the next day. Like, like nothing really that bad was going to happen, you know? Um, Whereas like a few weeks later, we went and attempted the Persis Index Traverse, which is like really these two incredibly steep peaks on US2 um, above the town of Index. They're actually two of the steepest uh, faces in all of Washington. They're not high peaks, but incredibly rugged, you know. And so we were trying to do this traverse um, and it was it was the first weekend of June or so. And. We didn't have ice axes or crampons. You know, we had microspikes. That was that was a piece of gear <laughs> that I had. And ultimately, partway through the tourist, we made it pretty dang far. We made it actually almost the summit in, in, index. Um, we were crossing side hilling across this like steep icy slope. Um, and I was going first, like trying to kick step with microspikes and hiking boots. And I slipped and slid and couldn't stop myself for a while. Um, and luckily, I kind of like fell into a tree well um, before I went too far. Um, and at the time I was wearing glasses, my glasses slid off my face, never saw those, that pair of glasses again. So I was like sort of blind. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, and we turned around, we turned around and went back after that luckily, but that was kind of an example of like, that could have been a lot more dangerous. Um, and I was probably, you know, overstepping what we should have done. Uh, you know, we should have had more gear and more practice. And I look back and like, that's a pretty gnarly traverse. Uh, I still haven't done it today, actually. Um, I climbed index from the other side a few years later, and that was still a pretty big ordeal. Um, so that, that was a time where we probably went a little too far and put ourselves into a somewhat dangerous situation. But at least we realized that, got out of there um, and didn't make that mistake again. And what do you what are your thoughts on on having something on having this thing in your life that occasionally has you towing the line of danger? I think it frequently has you towing the line of danger. Um, yeah. Well, especially in light of my recent experiences, <laughs> um, I've been thinking about that a lot. I think that it's oh, interesting because we choose. Sorry, I was going to say just for people like, you, you know, you recently had a, a climbing accident, right? When you're ice climbing. Yeah. 
I had a climbing accident where I fell about 30 feet while ice climbing on a first ascent of like a thousand foot ice route in the Cascades. Um, and was knocked unconscious, broke some bones in my face, and we ended up rappelling down the route and self-evacuating because a helicopter was came in but could not pick us up because of uh, stormy weather coming in. So we ended up getting out okay, and I'm doing okay now. But yeah, very, very relevant question. It's interesting, I think, that we choose like an inherently risky activity and then we try to like mitigate the, the risks in every possible way. It's really interesting. Um, and I think that a certain amount of risk is very necessary to feel to feel alive. And it really elevates our, our senses and elevates um, I think our awareness of the experience, you know, so many moments that I remember super clearly in the mountains are moments where I was intensely focused. And for a lot of us, I think the mountains and that element of danger allows us a sense of hyper-focusness and kind of actuality and presence in the moment that can be difficult to get in daily life. Like, there are lots of times where I find my mind wandering when I'm like sitting at my desk working and stuff. But I think we find a, we find we really enjoy the experience of being in the moment, you know, like climbing like a hard rock pitch, placing gear on lead and how the rest of the world just completely drops away and everything is focused on the moment. And that, that's really difficult to achieve, I think, without having some sort of risk that like focuses you to that point. But at the same time, it is really important to be aware of those risks. And I thought a lot about how alpine climbing and being in the mountains, it, it's such a difficult like learning environment because it's really feedback poor, feedback negative is what, what I've said. Um, what I mean by that is when we're learning, we want feedback, right? When you're like teaching things to your son, you give him feedback, whether he did the right thing or the wrong thing. And then it's really easy to like constructively direct his behavior um, and to learn how to do things the right way. The thing is in the mountains, you can do the wrong thing over and over again. And like 99% of the time you get away with it and you're okay. And maybe you make you make unsafe decisions, let's say an avalanche train or maybe, you know, soloing some rock face that you should have, you know, not even climbed because it's terrible or use protection. Um, or maybe you started up a steep snow field without putting crampons on and realized later on that you were on the edge of slipping and falling to your death. Um, and you get through that experience. It feels a little sketchy. Then you get through it and, and you end up OK and you reach the summit. And it feels awesome. And you're getting, essentially getting like positive reinforcement for a poor decision. And really, that's at what the core of the mistake that I made on the climb. You know, I was into a sketchy situation. Um, I kind of knew I probably should have down climbed. But I've been there before. I've been in situations where I'm like, eh, I should down climb. Um, like this isn't the ice isn't feeling right. Like the step looks harder than it looked from down low. Like, and now it's actually kind of like overhung. 
And I get in that mindset. A lot of climbers get in that mindset of like, oh, just put your head down, just send it, get through it. It'll be okay. And I've done that so many times. And I've always been fine. And I've come to accept that as like, that's acceptable, safe decision-making, but it's not. And it's just that I had, I had gotten away with it so many times and had those decisions reinforced by the outcomes that I had essentially developed like dangerous habits and in mountain climbing, you know, we can make that bad decision over and over and we get away with it. And then the one time we don't get away with it, people can die. And so it's such a like low probability, high consequence terrain also. And I think all those factors like make mitigating risk and dealing with risk actually quite complicated in the mountains. And that's really like the core of what we have to do as alpinists. Have you thought of um, strategies and way to like audit your um, your risk mitigation skills? Like how have you have you thought of ways to cope with this? Yeah, I think at the core of it is having that awareness of these biases that you have. And certainly I've started like reflecting with my partners after climbs that we do or ski tours that we do and stuff like that about the decision-making we make. And it's, it's, it's about looking at the process, not just saying, Oh yeah, we sent the climb. Like we did everything right. Like, no, now I'm able to like talk to my partners and be like, yeah, we skied that rad line and we had a great day but we screwed up there. Like we should not have traversed onto that wind loaded slope. Like that was a bad decision. And yeah, we didn't pay the consequence. Like there was no avalanche, but I've been able to, I think, be more critical of myself um, and not just be outcome-based, um, be more process-based and evaluating myself. And I think that's really key. And then you come to realize, I think the more nuances of your experiences and you can prevent yourself from becoming a victim of um, that, you know, negative feedback or that incorrect feedback from poor decisions. And you also, I think you set the tone socially for people around you um, because you're, you know, in your party, you're a big influence, right? Like you as a person, what you do, your tendencies, so on and so forth. Exactly. And, And being willing, being willing to admit that you made mistakes I think is really key. Um, Certainly as you become a more experienced climber and something that I've noticed that I find quite strange is that other people who I go out with might look to me as a source of expertise. And we know that one of the fundamental um, social dangers that they talk to you about, like in avalanche courses, is the, the expert halo effect. You know, don't let one person become the expert and make all the decisions. And I think it, it, it honestly feels really weird to me because I still think of myself as a beginner and someone who's like learning from other people. Um, but if you're willing to show that, you know, criticism is okay, we can constructively talk about mistakes that we make and you set that tone, everyone in the group feels okay saying, Hey, I don't feel comfortable with decision. Why don't we talk about this a little more, uh, before like launching into a potentially risky decision. Has, has, does any of this ever transfer over to your daily life and how you think about your daily life? Or is that very compartmentalized for you and these skills that you build in, in, this, um, in the Alpine? Oh, I think tons of skills are, uh, transfer over. 
One of the biggest ones is just breaking down difficult tasks or tasks that seem impossible into manageable little bits. You know, when we go out for a 30 mile trail run in a day, I don't think I have to run 30 miles. I just think, hmm, well, maybe it'll take me two and a half hours to do the first five miles to this pass. That'd be nice. And then maybe I'll have a lunch break down that valley. And you just like break it up bit by bit. And even during a specific like hill climb, I'll be like, well, maybe I can get to that switchback in the next 15 minutes. Um, and you can you can take these like inhuman goals that just seem massive and impossible and break it down to really something manageable. Um, and, and we see that all the time in life. Like if you have a big goal, like I want, want to lose 15 pounds of weight or I want to learn the skills to enter a new industry. If you can see the process and, and see the steps that you need to get there, suddenly it doesn't become like such a crazy, overwhelming goal and it becomes something that's manageable. So I think one of the biggest things with that for me, with alpine climbing that helped me see that was my experiences like learning to ice climb. So that's something that like seemed crazy ice climbing like i didn't know anyone who could ice climb it, it looks like something that like red bull athletes do not like normal right. people yeah it just like seems crazy so then my friend jacob and i like our senior year of college in the fall we were like hey what if we tried to learn to ice climb this winter and we made it a goal to learn to ice climb and to climb the route triple coolars on dragon tail which is like a classic easier alpine ice climb the cascades possibly the classic route um and we you know started reading books about ice climbing uh learned the equipment we needed to get and then we figured out we needed to get repetitions in and so we went to highlight canyon in Montana, which is a great place for beginners to learn because you can top rope all day and the ice is super reliable there and super accessible. Um, so we went there for a three, few three-day weekends and we just climbed lap after lap after lap till like our arms were falling off. Um, and big f focus for us was uh, making sure that every time we climbed, we climbed a little bit better. And it's not like you're going to overnight become like a great ice climber. But if you focus on one thing, like today, I'm going to get better on dropping my heels and engaging the secondary points of my crampons. Today, I'm going to work on having a restful stance whenever I'm placing a screw. You just like focus on very specific things. Then it suddenly becomes a very like actionable experience and you can you can achieve those goals. And so after a winter of like practicing ice climbing, we went out and climbed triple coolars which was a dream climb for me. Now it was actually just about two years ago to today. Um, and to go from like having no idea, like how does one even ice climb? What gear do I need really? To climbing this classic route in a few months really put into perspective to me, like how, how much you can learn and how far you can push yourself if you take a very like methodical approach to things. And I believe that, you know, that's kind of the metaphor for learning new things in life and going to different places. And it just goes back to that focusing on the process, right? Instead of the outcome as much. Exactly. I've had that 
with uh, with like learning how to climb better is like trying to mainly for like sport climbing, right? As uh, yeah, trying to visualize the routes. Like it's almost like trying to to give a cat a bath trying to visualize the route before i climb it because it's like I'll, like try to visualize it and i'm like okay i visualize it i'm gonna go climb but like really i think i thought about two moves and then um yeah but over time i realized that like i'm probably spending you know i'm climbing this thing multiple times with poor quality because i'm not really thinking out the moves i'm just putting myself in a stress situation where my body's really taxed and i can't give it a good go yeah and now i have to what to do and like it's so weird because when you're not you don't build that habit and routine it's um it's very challenging to to slow down and focus on the process and not just gun it for that outcome and to achieve what you envision um and yeah. running has like changed the framework that I've looked at things because through learning how to, you know, um, to run more and more mileage, um, I've had to follow this like goal orientated framework. And it was learning through that, that I was able to refine my overall process and create the habit of creating micro goals and focusing on improving like one aspect of it and really understanding that and moving on. And then in hindsight of after practicing that with trying to learn how to run, um, I realized that in my opinion, the things that I were doing before trying to learn and I'd only spend like a few days, right? Like, and I'm like, Oh, I don't have, I don't understand this. And going back and look reviewing tutorials yeah. to, to be able to do it myself is like, you never really understood any of that. Like, and yeah, I, yeah. Th I think I really like, um, I think it was Steve house, uh, who said it recently author of, you know, training for new alpism, training for the uphill athlete. Um, I think it was him who said, if you're just like training without a plan, that's not training, that's exercising. And, and his point is that you have to have a focus on the process. You know, you're not going to really, you're not going to become a great climber by just going to the gym and climbing every day. You have to have a plan, strength training. You know, you can't climb your hardest every day. And same with running. Like you don't just go out and run like four or five miles every day. Like, I mean, you'll become a decent runner. But you want to become a great runner. Like you need to do interval workouts. You need to do hill workouts. You need to stretch. You need to like make sure you do injury prevention, all these different things. You need to have a plan. And I think I learned that really at a young age through music. Um, I started piano when I was five and I still play a lot today. And I started saxophone when I was in sixth grade. Um, and I played like through, I played with like a bunch of jazz groups at my university and stuff like that. And I remember my high school, one of my high school jazz band directors, he said that studies showed that when you were like practicing a part from your music, like maybe a technically difficult part. Um, he always emphasized, you know, playing slowly first and make sure you practicing it correct. Because every time you practiced it wrong, like you played those sequence of notes wrong, you had to play it something like 20 times correctly to reverse that muscle memory in your head that you just like made from practicing it wrong. And so I always practiced music you know, playing very slowly, um, breaking it down, you know, hand by hand, maybe on the piano, uh, make sure I played everything right. Because if you don't practice perfectly, you're not going to perform perfectly. And to a certain extent, that's the same thing's true in the mountains. Mm -hmm. 
a perfect practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. And it's an interesting thing that I've realized that through archery, um, I heard from a really good archery teacher who's, who's taught a lot of world around archers that like when you, your, your shots start to deteriorate, right? Like if you start shooting poorly in your practice and you're like, I'm going to be here for an hour and you have, you're landing like all tens, right? You're hitting it right in the, in the, uh, in the middle and then all of a sudden you're starting to, to veer off right and then you yeah. get off a little more and it's completely stop because all you're going to yeah. do is integrate bad technique from there and then you're going to come back to it you know a lot worse off and i think that's very telling because i've wrestled with that when i go into approach objectives and i get caught up not paying attention to where my body's at and i go out on the trail um or even sometimes the weather too well, mainly for me, bother body. I won't play the weather. I don't like to climb in like, <laughs> thunderstorms or anything. Um, yeah. Uh, but I've had to, you know, wrestled with, you know, having to turn around over like upset stomachs and stuff, and whether or not I should push through it. If I'm like a quote unquote like a bitch, right? Or if I'm listening to my body and just trying to understand where I'm at. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think these things just in daily life, like you don't, it's pretty easy to, um, to ignore them. And I would actually say that, um, there is not really much feedback for poor decision-making in everyday life more so than in the mountains. Um, in the sense that like, if you're, if you're ignorant, right. If you have, uh, if you're closed minded, uh, if you are, have like a huge inflated sense of ego and like, I've caught myself there to where I was trying to do ultra runs for like the, I came to the conclusion of not like the adoration of other people, but like fulfilling that identity and everything that I thought that that would be. Comparing yourself maybe. Yeah. And I would see people in that situation. It's like, they're happy. I'm going to do that. And I'm like, and this is good for you. Eat your vegetables. And then I do it and do it. And I realize a lot of cool things to where it's like, well, I don't prefer races. Like I'll do them, but they don't make me, uh, excited, you know, and like passionate, but being up yeah. in like I country does and, and running up there. Um, and I think these things make you confront that because like there's a lot of feedback. If you're running like a, you know, a 50 mile trail run and you're just doing it to cross the finish line, like within a few miles, like you pretty much know where you stand. Right. Yeah. And so with going out into the mountains, it's a lot more nuanced than, you know, going for a, for a hike. Um, or if you're a hiker, one day you're going to go on the PCT, like, you know, there's in the hierarchy or the goals that you would have as an enthusiast for the mountains. Um, it doesn't just fall within the identity of climbing a really hard grade or, you know, hiking the longest trail. Um, it can be pretty nuanced. So what has your personal narrative been like and how has it evolved for, um, what you, your objectives in the mountains? Yeah. Um, I think when I was younger, it was, it was more about, I mean, you could still say I am young. That's why everyone reminds me. But, um, during my teenage years, I would say it definitely, there 
was more of an element of ego in that I saw certain climbs as like a test piece or um, I wanted to be able to say that I had climbed a certain climb. Um, But it's always fluctuated and I've had different interests. Um, I think for a while I did kind of fall into the trap of like caring about technical grades a lot as I was learning to rock climb. Um, I think rock climbing specifically is so easy to fall into that trap because everything's like numerically, you know, numbered in terms of difficulty. It's it's harder to fall into that trap as an alpine climber. Like it's harder to fall into that trap because you're like, well, Eldorado versus Index versus Shucks. And like, I don't know, they're all snow rock scrambles. Like who's which one's harder than another. But once there's like rock grades introduced, then it's really easy to value yourself based on that difficulty and so for a while I was like really into like trying to climb at a harder grade and you know I got a lot of good things out of that um it's you know made me a sufficient like 5'9 alpine rock climber so I can go do a bunch of cool routes and stuff um but I think I've been able to always kind of catch myself when I'm getting a little too focused on the wrong thing um and always what it comes back to is like seeing new places, um, seeing beautiful places and finding, finding a sense of adventure with what, with what I do. Uh, and more and more it's been moving that direction. And I am able to find people who have like similar interests and passions. And that really helps because otherwise it's hard to convince people to want to go like bushwhacking for hours and <laughs> deep into the cascades and then side hill across steep heather and scramble up some chassis goalie, like also like get across this ridge that has no sign that man has ever been there, you know? <laughs> That, and that subsect of people and like in this even, you know, a little larger niche of, you know, mountaineering and, and running and stuff like that's the thing that's like I really get on with that. Because once I started to identify that there were groups of people where that was like their main passion, the way that they like to um, to move through the through the mountains, I guess, like that really helped me, especially in a really time of uncertainty where like I liked running, but I hated running and I didn't know why mm-hmm. I liked it. Like over this past year, even talking to you like last time, even though that podcast didn't air, it's like and watching like reading your trip reports on like climberkyle.com <laughs> and it's like given me as a better understanding and being and a roadmap for like how to pursue these these niggling desires that I have, you know, and like when I noticed that, oh, for some reason I, I really like crossing like, you know, um, large rivers or um, going up a hand line of something steep, crossing boulder fields. And I hate all that like flat runnable stuff um, <laughs> there and yeah. also getting stuck in the point to where like if I look at myself projecting and throwing myself up like grades, uh, grade chasing at a crag, like that's not a story that fits for me. I've always been interested in like exploring. But when I grew up, all of the stories that were out there were like Indiana Jones and, you know, maybe a national mm. geographic explorer, but like not really. And I thought that like that sense of adventure was kind of gone, especially when you could read all the trip reports yeah. about everything up there. But no, like you, y'all are out there like 
a large group of people across the world are like creating these like very interesting and unique adventures um, that are just fulfilling like their own desire to explore, even like all the way down to what uh, canyoneering and like rappelling down waterfalls and exploring all the images here. Exactly. Like a lot of people say that, you know, all the plums have been picked in the Cascades or that, you know, Fred Becky was in during the era of great exploration and there isn't really adventure left in the Cascades. And, you know, if you consider adventure, you know, climbing some beautiful 2000 foot unclimbed rock buttress, like, yeah, it's getting it's getting harder to find, you know, something new like that, even though there there still are definitely things like that. Um, But if we if we redefine what adventure means, and we bring an element of creativity, I think that we can all find something that is meaningful to us and feels adventurous. And as you totally said, it, it can be so many different things. I saw this one guy who was doing these like trans cascade runs from like east to west and bringing like he's bringing like floaties to go across like Lake Chelan and Ross Lake. And he's doing these like traverse runs that no one had ever done because he was bringing the element of like pack rafting into it. And I thought like, like that was super cool. Um, and it's just, again, like being creative and thinking about what kind of experiences are meaningful to you. And each of us are a little different and we're going to create a different experience. And to me, that's like something really beautiful to watch. Yeah, I, I really think it is because it's very telling of the individual because they're not placing themselves in these in the constraints of what's available. They're creatively expressing themselves by selecting. Exactly. And for me, like I've always been such a creative person, um, creative in like how I problem solve in school and at work. Um, I've been writing piano music since uh, ninth grade or so. Uh, and that's always been a big part of my life. So for me, the mountains are just kind of another canvas to craft an experience and tell a story about who I am. And when you look at things like that, really the opportunities become endless. Instead, you're not just like checking off a list of alpine rock climbs in Washington. You're, you're seeking something new and something meaningful to you. It's the thing that I struggle with sometimes because like I I'll go up in certain experiences. Sometimes I get in over my head, not in terms of safety, but like physical effort, perhaps Um, like trying to do like a car to car of like Prussic Peak and like ah this this won't be that bad (laughs) been there done that it's pretty it's pretty tiring but I found myself at times setting myself up for like uh, for like almost absolute like tyranny over myself to where it's like these objectives right look nice and they're something that I would I think I would enjoy doing the thought of them sounds nice when I'm done with them and never mind all of the things to, to accomplish those, never mind the process. And then I go up in the process and I've like overloaded myself so much. So I'm like, fuck, this is terrible. And (laughs) I didn't, I had to come to terms with myself and reevaluate like what kind of much like, instead of looking at the job that you want, and the amount of money that you want, look at the lifestyle and like what kind of experience in the wilderness did I want? Did I want to be like, um, 
doing this, pushing the mileage, you know, really far and coming in with like the most like weakest legs that I could imagine? Or <laughs> should I just look for something that I really care about going to see out there instead of having to prove something to myself? Right. And yeah. in like in that, I would find myself smiling more and enjoying it and not saying that it was less uncomfortable. Um, it's just I selected for him because that's like what I was it was I wanted like my ego wasn't pushing me for these objectives. It was just like an innate, you know, curiosity and um, and wanting yeah. to explore. Uh, it, it's super important to be able to separate your ego from like what is truly important to you in climbing because ego climbing will inevitably either lead you to unhappiness or injury, but potentially risky behavior. Um, and it's, it's so important to be able to have a, to be able to differentiate right there. And, uh, so regarding like your winter trips this year, it seemed like you were chasing a lot of ice. <laughs> yeah. And you said this is, it's been two years since your, uh, first like Alpine ice objective. Would that be fair? Yeah. And and Sloan Peak was like a pretty big route for you. Like you've you've had your eye on that since you were little, yeah. right? That's been a dream climb for me. Um, I think that a lot of alpinists around here and a lot of specifically the older generation I've talked to, guys like Wayne Wallace and Doug Hutchinson, these guys who were like my idols when I was younger, um, they agreed that the west face of Sloan was the greatest unclimbed winter face in Washington. So it's really, you know, people say like, oh, there's there's no good plums to pick. Well, that that one was still <laughs> was still there. And John Skurlock, who is a legendary uh, aerial photographer, flies around the Cascade taking beautiful, beautiful photos. So he first started flying around in the early 2000s and took all these incredible photos of remote Cascade peaks. And this set off like kind of an ice climbing revolution because people looked through his photos and saw these like incredible ice lines deep in the wilderness. And they just, you know, people just didn't know that they were there because it's too far to go out there and just like look randomly. Um, so that's how we got like Buckshot on the north face of Buck Mountain, which is like crazy route. Um, Intravenous on Chihuahua Mountain, which is one of Colin Haley's greatest climbs in the Cascades. It's this splitter chimney for like 2000 feet up the North face of Chihuahua, um, deep in the Glacier Peak wilderness. It's like, no one's going to know it's there, you know, without a pilot flying around. So he also sh shared photos of Sloan and everyone saw the, you know, beautiful free hanging ice pillars down the face. And it, it looked like something out of the Canadian Rockies. The first time I saw one of the online photos and it, it just seemed like impossible. Like, how could there be such beautiful ice climbing in Washington, an area that's not known for ice climbing? And how could there be no climbs up it that I, as far as I can find researching on the internet um, and talking to people, it just, it just seemed too good to be true. And really when I saw that photo, I knew that I had to go figure out the secret of Sloan, not necessarily climate, but just like, is the ice even there? Was it just there one time we took the photo? It's accessible. Why does no one climb it? Like, is it just too hard? Like, is it, is it even possible? And it was really, really a curiosity more than anything else I'd say that drove me, that drove that project. And ultimately Porter and I went out there. Um, the first time where we made our attempt 
I started feeling sick, like, like really early from the car. And we just, we just bailed. It was like too deep powder. It was a day you should be like skiing deep pal, like on a beautiful peak, not like trying to go to ice climb, like skiing pow. When it's good to ski pow, it's usually bad to ice climb because walking through pow sucks. So just go ski pow. You go ice climb when the skiing sucks. That's kind of the rule. Uh, so we just turned around quickly. And then the next day, my uh, brother-in-law and his father flew by Sloan Peak in their little like twin-engine plane. And my brother-in-law's father since he retired from Boeing, he like was building his own plane for like 25 years and then like started flying this fall. And I just casually mentioned to him one day, I was like, Hey, if you ever like get the chance in winter, could you fly by the West face of Sloan peak and take photos? I didn't think he'd actually do it, but they actually flew by the plane, flew by the peak and they staffed some pictures for me and they sent me the pictures the next day. And the face was just loaded with ice and it was almost like a validation of my curiosity right there that like, yes, this is possible, but still, why has no one climbed it? Like there's all these fat, beautiful ice pillars, the most aesthetic routes in Washington. I think nothing compares to the pillars on that face, not even on Colfax peak with the Polish route across the Houston. Like, this is, this is like straight Canadian Rockies, Canadian ice fields taken and planted in the Cascades. And those photos were really helpful because we looked at all these different angles and the route that we had originally like dreamed of from the Skirlock photos, we quickly realized that was way out of our wheelhouse. It was like a hundred foot WI five, like straight slash slightly overhung ice pillars for like a hundred, 200 feet. Um, it was way bigger and more difficult than we had ever realized because we had these photos from different angles and could see that. But then our eye kind of went to this other line on the side of the face and the more and more we looked at it, we're like, that goalie, it looks very icy, but it probably is not even vertical or at least vertical or slightly under vertical. And so that really directed our attention to this other line of weakness, not quite as proud of a line, but still a line up the face and probably the only line that was possible for us. So then when we went back the next week, um, about a week and a half later, we made it our priority to go up to that line. And the whole climb kind of felt, it almost felt too easy. It felt too good to be true. Like we just easily found a passage through the initial rock band on this beautiful, like vertical WI4 pitch. And then we enter the goalie and it was better than we could ever imagine. Just fat, fat ice, sustained WI3. So like 70 to 80 degree ice, just perfect, moderate, fun cruiser ice for hundreds and hundreds of feet. And it just kept going and going. And it was better than any route that Porter and I had ever climbed in the Cascades. And Porter and I have done almost all the classics. Uh, it just it just felt too good to be true. It was like this secret that had felt like it was impossible. Or it, like, how could this be in the Cascades? How could no one have climbed this? And we got there and that dream came completely true. And then as we talked about earlier on the literal final move of the route, the final ice step, that's where I kind of got tired and made some bad decisions and ended up falling. So I went from like the possible best day of my life to like what could have been the worst day of my life. Um, you know, really in a matter of a few minutes, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and, and ultimately I'm still like looking back, very grateful 
for the experience um, because I'm going to be such a smarter climber and better person from this. But I'm also not, I don't feel regretful that we went for it and went for the climb. Um, and, you know, I feel regretful about, you know, individual decisions that I made. But ultimately, I feel incredibly proud that we were willing to go out there and give it a shot. I, given how the climb actually went so easily and was very much within our ability, it's not really that impressive that we climbed the route. It's like a nice moderate route, but it didn't like really push us to our limits. So that's like not really that impressive to me. What the true miracle was is that we even thought it was possible to climb this great unclimbed face that Alpinists had looked at for like 20 years and been, you know, too scared to try or not wanting to put in the effort. And that to me is more the miracle. And I think it just really shows that we can achieve so far beyond our wildest dreams if we simply believe in each other, believe in ourselves. That level of, um, adventure right just yeah curiosity like that i think is such a cool thing because like you're able to have this you're able to unearth this experience that like was never before there and 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 to you that was like unprecedented right because it's something that you look for to me that was truly the most incredible sense of adventure that I've ever had. Like I feel adventurous when I go and I do new high routes and stuff, but to walk up to this, what could be the greatest unclined winter face in Washington um, at sunrise and just stare up the, at those, you know, thousand foot ice pillars coming down the face, you know, one of the most powerful settings that I've ever been in and essentially find a needle on a haystack, find, find a route of weakness through what feels like an impossibly difficult face to climb. Um, it was incredible. I think I mentioned to Porter like halfway through the climb that we were in the year 2020. We were within sight of Seattle and the Puget Sound lowlands. And we were having an experience like this. I didn't think that would be possible. And it goes to that process. Cause you, come to that point where it's like you're not climbing the proudest line but you're meeting the the experience that you wanted which was to have that level of adventure and like for my personal story and the way that i like to look at things not being very competitive right by nature yeah that really fits well with like my in terms of my aspirations because i don't really aspire to be like the strongest or like the best like what really makes me satisfied is just like unearthing that level of curiosity and adventure and just to see that come to fruition for you. Um, and it's wild because then it followed up though with like, you know, a tragic accident. Yeah. But as I said, I think in many ways it's going to make me, you know, just so much safer, have a longer climbing career in general. And it really challenged me about what I believe in and what is meaningful about the experience. So, you know, the fact that we didn't finish the route to the summit originally, like it really hurt my ego because people were saying you can't claim it's a first ascent if you didn't reach the summit, you know, even though you climbed a thousand feet of 
unclimbed ice, they're saying that that doesn't count as a first ascent if you don't go to the summit. Um, and I was really hurt by that, but it caused me to reflect on why did I do this experience in the first place? It wasn't to like claim that I made some first ascent. It was all about curiosity and how far can we push ourselves if we believe in the impossible? And that's like truly what it means to me. And, and hopefully that can inspire other people. Thank you very much, Kyle. I appreciate this. And if people want to check out your writing, where can they check you out? Where can they find it? Uh, climberkyle.com. Cool. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to, um, support the show you can head over to becominghumanpodcast.com leave a comment share it with a friend go to our website pick up some merch and for those of you who are perhaps unemployed or have a lot of free time if it's still the coronavirus is still affecting you um one of my favorite resources is heading over to your library's website and there they usually have a, a link for learning and resources and in that tab you you most libraries will give you act free access to a paid learning platform it's ran by linkedin it's linkedin learning or linda and you can get uh certificates in courses uh throughout through there that will that help like further your careers and possibly give you new opportunities like these situations um these windfalls as you call it and these you can't really control the fact that they happen perhaps you could reduce them but what you can control is your response to these things and there's a lot of resources out there and especially thinking about now whereas we have all this access to technology as opposed to like let's say you know 30 years ago or 20 or 40 years ago whereas this would be even more crippling right and we can use this time to help ourselves and help each other and i'm going to play you out with a song by less than jake all my best friends are metalheads hope you guys are doing well out there bye Of how you look and how you act and how you think Pretend they're not the same as you